And I want to look at a scripture. And if you weren't here last week, uh, that's okay. This one stands on its own two legs. Um, but on the other hand, if you were here last week, they, they, they melt together. This is in Romans in chapter 8 and in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Um, let me just say this. I don't think anybody here, whether physically or there in Zoom, you're not here this morning in order to be told what you've been told for the last hundred years. Um, I, I, I say that because people look at, you know, astonished, to say the least, and say, I've never heard that before. Well, I would trust that's why you're here. Um, it would be a terrible waste of gas to get here to hear what you'd heard forever. Um, we're attempting to go where you haven't been before and make no bones about it. Um, and the reason I say that, uh, putting it very simply without explanation at this point, the, the Western church by as early as the 6th and 7th century, had dispensed with the Holy Spirit. Um, they uh, opted instead for an intellectual Christianity, something that appealed just to the brain, just to the mind. And at that same time, we had the introduction to the New Testament, I don't know if you realize it, but for 400 years, some of the best 400 years the church ever did have was before they had a Bible. Um, and, and when we read in the New Testament of scriptures, that either refers to the Old Testament or the floating around the churches of the letters of Paul and Peter, but they didn't have anything, anything like what we call the New Testament. And the incoming of the New Testament and at the same time, the church officially, pomposity said that there's no more need for the Holy Spirit. And that has been true since the 6th, 7th century, um, all the way to the, today. And it was about a hundred years ago that the evangelical world here in the Western world, uh, declared the very same thing that was declared back then. Only now it's fresh and up to date and is the way churches look at life. And so practically speaking, practically speaking, uh, the church, big swath of the brush, um, really believes in Father, Son and Holy Bible because I can now give my intellect to the Bible and, and I can come and I can propound all my great words and knowledge of what I met in the Bible and very little, if any, reference to the Holy Spirit at all. When we come to the New Testament, of course, it's full of the Holy Spirit. And they just dismiss that. That was for the early church. It isn't for us anymore. 
I think I told you I was speaking in one place to a relatively small group, and I was saying things that I'd seen around the world in third world, where the whole of the New Testament still takes place. They've never, no one ever told them the Holy Spirit had left, and so they assume he's there. And, and things happen exactly as you read in the New Testament. And, and somebody shouted out, he was red in the face, angry. He shouted out, he said, Malcolm, that's stupid. He said, the Holy Spirit was only for the early church. And... um Well, that's how angry people get when you bring it up. And that's why I say to you, very, I really mean it. You you didn't come here this morning to hear what you've always heard. You, many of you will hear something you may have never have heard before. Uh, Don't freak out. Um, let, Let the Holy Spirit introduce himself to you. There's a quote that I use at the beginning of every Bible school uh, and, and it's uh, from Lord of the Rings, Tolkien. Now, Tolkien was a Christian, but at this particular time, he was writing about hobbits. And, um, well, it applied to hobbits, but it also applies very much to the Western church. And I have this quote whenever I feel it's appropriate to give it. Let me give it to you very... Uh, this was the introduction to Lord of the Rings, And he said, but remember, I'm talking about the New Testament. He said, much that once was is lost. For nobody lived who could remember it. Some things that should not have been forgotten were lost. And history became legend and legend became myth. Did you follow what he's saying? There's so much that back there somewhere they forgot. They lost it. And now at this point in time, when I tell you the stories of the New Testament, it sounds more like about the hobbits. It's more like a fairy story. It's become legend. It became myth. Well, the fact is that when persons today are introduced to a real living Holy Spirit, then we are looked upon as driving off the map. We we have gone away from what religion has said, and we have come to the person, God, the Holy Spirit, who dominates the New Testament. And we're looked upon as those, yes, who drove off the map, and we're now in the wilderness of weirdness. Uh, But do you understand It's because so many things were forgotten. So many things were deliberately, intentionally put aside. And the result is, when we look back, it's it's forgotten and it's now looked upon as total weirdness. This passage that we just read is one such passage. And let, let me jump right into it. Paul makes a statement at the beginning of that verse that should shock us all. He said, we do not know how to pray as we ought to. Now, if I was speaking to new believers, if I was speaking to people that had never really been introduced to what prayer is, then they stumble around and they don't know how to pray. That I can, that wouldn't be shocking. But Paul said here, we. 
Now, you can build a whole hour of talking on just that one word. We do not know how to pray as we ought. That is, Paul included himself. He didn't say, you guys don't know how to pray, though one would expect he had the right to do that. I mean, Paul, he had received the mysteries, and I use the term very carefully, the mysteries that no one had understood until Jesus came, and it was Paul who uncovered that and gave us most of the New Testament. And this person that had had such an association with, with the Holy Spirit, leading him, guiding him, teaching him, he's the one that says him without any apologies, we do not know how to pray as we ought to. And that we then, I'll I'll say, includes every believer. If Paul says he doesn't know how to pray as he ought, then that includes everybody in this building and everybody who's with us in Zoom. We do not know how to pray as we ought. That's a relief, good grief. What a relief. I've been given permission not to know how to pray as I ought. Um, So, and Paul says that without any shame. He doesn't preface it by saying, if only I was a better Christian, if only I... No shame here at all. He just blunders right in. We do not know how to pray as we ought. Nor does he suggest even that that is a sinful weakness. He doesn't say, I've got to get right with God. He doesn't say, I'd better answer the next altar call because I don't know how to pray as I ought. No, he states that as an absolute fact, without any apology, without any shame, and no suggestion there's something sinfully wrong with a person who doesn't know how to pray. And it's, if you read... Read it a lot. You have to read it a lot because it's got to get into my head. Um, but what he's saying there is, is the weakness that we have, that we don't know. It's not only how to pray, but it's also what to do. In the, uh, This is a man who is at the end of his rope in one sense. I don't know how to pray. Well, that means that the most vital piece of equipment in my life, my ability to pray, if I don't know that, then I'm, I'm really in trouble. Um, I've come to the end of resources, and, and my last hope was I could pray, and now I don't know how. And in fact, and this is the point of it, I really don't know what to say. I'm caught. Should I pray this? Should I pray that? I don't know. What should I do with this? I don't know. That That's the kind of thing. It's not merely I don't know how to put the words together. I, I don't know the content. I don't know what to pray for. Now, the, the fact is, I'll tip my hand um, straight away by saying it is this weakness. I don't know how to pray as I ought. It's that weakness that is the secret of the life that you see portrayed in the New Testament. It doesn't make a bit of sense. Paul says it later on in Second Corinthians. He said, when I am weak, then I am strong. 
it is that I have to come to the point of weakness, recognize it, relax into it, and realize this is the way it's supposed to be. And in that moment, I've discovered the secret that now I have been confronted with the reality of my relationship with the Holy Spirit. And it was my weakness, my inability to even know what to say, how to say it. And the Holy Spirit then, I suddenly realized he's as real as Jesus is real. He is not some floating cloud of feeling. He is the real person who actually is the key to my whole Christian life. This is going a lot beyond prayer. You see, let's get it straight. Uh, Memorizing scripture that most of you did in Sunday school. Some, Some of you got those Sunday school pins that you had memorized so much enough to nearly pull your coat off. And, and But that's not relationship. That just means you have the ability to memorize. Um, when, I, when I was 17, I began to memorize the New Testament. And it took me till I was about 23 um, to memorize the entire New Testament and then to become totally familiar with the Old Testament that I hardly need a concordance. But what did that do? It just meant that I'm a jolly good memorizer. That's all. Um, and, and memorizing the Bible is a very good idea. But don't think it makes you into relationship with God. Not at all. Um, and, and so when it comes to relationship, it, it's not, relationship doesn't depend on your intellect. You understand? When, when there's a relationship happening, it's a living dynamic. You are, you are entering into relationship with the person that has bypassed your intellect. Your cold, wretched intellect sits on the sidelines saying, I disagree. You know, you're getting too emotional. You're getting too involved. You're getting entangled. Yes. All those words fit relationship. They don't fit your intellect though. Um, or you could say it's the right hand of your brain that's getting excited uh, and your left hand sits there judging, editing, crossing out. So it is. So, so please get it, get it straight. Um, you can take all the Bible courses in the world. You can go to the seminary and get a doctor of theology. That won't give you relationship. It just gives you extra education, but it's not relationship. Um, if I went to seminary and took a course on marriage and came out as a, you know, <clears throat> doctor of marriage, that doesn't mean it's not a marriage. It just means I, I know all about it without any experience, so God help me and my hearers. But, yeah, you see, you see, when it comes to knowing, weigh that word, knowing the Father, God the Father, and knowing him because I'm in, I'm embraced in Christ, and all of that in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, now we're talking, that's, that's not the language of a formula. That's not if you do this and this is not intellect. It is a living dynamic. It's it's relationship. Now that doesn't mean that I can't go back to that and let my intellect be baptized into it and I can study it. But it must begin with, with this personal relationship. See, and when, when we come to this, I don't know how, 
Those words are very easy for me to say right now, but I remember the day that would have been terrifying for me to say that the very heart of living the Christian life, I don't know how. Well, I've come to the end of my self-sufficiency. And the only proper way after that is you are cast upon the Holy Spirit. You're abandoned to the, I've got nowhere else to turn. And that leads me to realize everything hinges upon relationship, not knowing about, but knowing relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I get that because I'm in Christ, and in Christ I am face to face with the Father. So that changes even what prayer is. I don't want to take too long on this, but it is part of the verse, you see. Prayer is not trying to convince God that he should do something that he's unwilling to do. Now, I don't want to be judgmental, but I've been around churches, meetings for these last 71 years. I should know a thing or two, but I've heard prayer meeting after prayer meeting. There came a time when the very words prayer meeting made me cringe because it was going to people who wailed and howled at God uh, with the absolute backdrop of he doesn't want to do this. And, and so I've got to pray in such a fashion. I've got to shout at him. I've got to twist his arm. I've got to promise I'll give my life if you'll do this because I'm more wanting this to happen than he is. So so I'll say, I'll give my life. I'll, I'll do anything. I'll, I'll go to the malarial swamp in Central Africa. Anything if you'll do this. Trying to twist his arm. Is that prayer? I'm very serious. Is that prayer? I won't go to those prayer meetings. Sorry. Uh, where where they, they grovel and tell God how wretched they are, how unworthy they are, no good. I don't even want you listening to me. Oh, and we believe God likes that. No, I don't go to those prayer meetings. Doesn't leave many to go to, but I, I don't go to those. Um, you're not trying to get the attention of a God who is bored with you or disinterested to you. That's not prayer. Prayer is being part, and I use that expression, part of the Holy Three, the Holy Trinity, in their passionate desire to bring to substance into our history the original intention that they had before creation and that was achieved when Jesus died and rose again. The Holy Trinity, I say the words carefully, they are passionate. And what I am bringing now as a request is in line with that. I don't have to convince God. He's not over there. He's not against what I'm saying. I'm inside of him. He's inside of me. We're doing this together. Prayer is not making God do something. It's me in him doing it with him. Prayer in my mouth is mirrored in his mouth. That's prayer. We're praying with the Holy Trinity, not at him. Many prayers are prayed at God, almost with a punch. But no, we pray with him. He's, or to put it, you know, he's on our side. No, that's pretty weak. We are bound up in him. Um, We're in his side. 
And while we're here, the, the father, see, many people are afraid of the father, really afraid of the father, because they've got him all confused with their own father. That's why Jesus said, no one comes to the father but by me. You never go to the father through your own father, because then you'll think of God as very angry many times, very abusive. Jesus said, discard that. You come to the Father by me. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because the Father and Jesus are so entwined, if I could use that word, that that love, love becomes one. And the Holy Spirit, one with the Father and the Son. But let me put it this way, and it's, it's not crude. Many theologians have said the same. Just to try and make us understand, the Father who is love, has two arms which take love to every one of us. Mm -hmm. And his two arms are Jesus, who is God, who is love, Mm -hmm. who became one of us and with his arms around us carried us through death and resurrection, Mm -hmm. wiped out our sin and presented us humans in the divine world of the Holy Trinity. And the other arm of God is the Holy Spirit, who is God, who is love, who now comes within us and is the enabler and the revealer and the truth teller. And so the Father is love. With his two arms, he brings us to himself. And, And you see, you can't move. You cannot move in this relationship. It's never... Jesus or the Father. If I come to Jesus, I come to the Father. If I'm experiencing the Holy Spirit, I've come to the Father. And if I go to the Father, I come to Jesus. We are one. And you, sitting here, sitting there, right in the middle of the Holy Trinity's holding love. Now, before you nod your head too rapidly, um, well, what do you think about the Holy Spirit? Uh, I've asked that question to a lot of people in the last 70 years. Uh, one person said a gray blur. Um, and one of Presbyterian ministers said, well, Father, Son, and what's his name? Uh, I don't know. Um, Holy Spirit. Spirit. And of course, if you come from the old King James Bible, it's ghost, Lord help us. You know, Father, Son, and the Ghost. And, um, you realize many people are totally confused by the Holy Spirit. And so when the charismatic world came to us, they, they I mean, God bless them. It was a great revelation they had, have, but they, they said the power. Well, yeah, but the Holy Spirit isn't power. Well, power is impersonal. Power just explodes, makes a noise, gets things done. But that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings a whole dimension of power to my life, but power isn't he. He, 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 person. Um, Or they brought the other word, anointing. I've got the anointing. Well, I know what you mean, but that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives the anointing, 
But he's not the anointing. He is the Holy Spirit, a person, the person. Holy Spirit, well, I feel good. Good. <laughs> what about when you feel bad? <laughs> Holy Spirit is not a feeling. That's your response to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is not an experience. That was, you had the experience, but the Holy Spirit is the limitless person. Do you get it? Person. Person. He is co-equal with the person of the Father. He's co-equal with Jesus. In fact, Jesus described him with a very interesting word um, in, in John, what is it, 14, 15, 16. He said that the Holy Spirit is the same as Jesus. Not in the sense that he is Jesus, but he was saying, everything you've known of me, read through the Gospels, everything you see Jesus do, everything you see him say, his attitude, his compassion. He said, the Holy Spirit is that. That means the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I'm leaving. But he said, it is incredibly better for you that I leave. The word is very strong in the Greek language. It means to your supreme advantage that I leave so that the Holy Spirit will come and he will be exactly to you what I have been, except more. Because invisible, he lives inside of you. So if, if Jesus was in the Galilee and you're in Jerusalem, you'd have to travel 70 miles to get to him and hope he's still there when you get there. But the Holy Spirit lives with you, lives in you, works in you, joys in you, weeps in you, sleeps with you, dances with you. Hey, that's better than having Jesus. When, when I was in Israel, we were in Capernaum, and um, some members of the tour group uh, were, were stunned because we, we were sit, standing on the original mosaic that Jesus would have stood on. Of course, the synagogue in Capernaum, much takes place in the Gospels there. And they were standing there, and go, whoa, this is... And they took their coat off and began to rub it on the floor as if to pick up some of the vibration. Uh, this is what I said, would you stop that nonsense? Get up off the floor and realize Jesus said it's better. What is going to happen, I leave to stand for you as you with you at the side of the Father. The Holy Spirit coming is better. Better than, come, do, do you get it? Do you get it? Read the Gospels and keep telling yourself, I've got something better than this. The Jesus I find there, I meet in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit. Jesus is the Son. But Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. Now the Holy Spirit says, when you see me, you see Jesus. Only he couldn't be closer. He, he's closer than my heartbeat. And, and he's in, which as I've said many times before, not as a roommate. He doesn't have half of me. There's no dividing line which belongs to, no. The Holy Spirit is in me, which means he's infused through every part of my mortal being. And that is bigger than my body. You know, you, your 
energy goes out from you. And so the Holy Spirit encases you is... Jesus said, he's the same as me. Same as you, but infinitely better for you. And he's invisible. So you, you never can look at him in the mirror, but he is there, he is with you. This is the real presence of Jesus that is in me and around me through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that is, Jesus said he will teach you. Jesus said, I've got so much I want to share with you, but you're incapable of understanding it. It would be a waste of words. So he said, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he's the genius. He can get inside your head and he can explain things that even Jesus said, I can't do that right now. It takes someone coming into you and explaining from the inside. It's the Holy Spirit in that same chapter that we just read. It's the Holy Spirit who tells you that you are a child of God. I could tell you that till I'm blue in the face. But it's the Holy Spirit that witnesses with your spirit and says, you can call him daddy. Remember Abba, the Hebrew word for for daddy. So Holy Spirit does that. He says that you are Father's delighted child. In fact, he said, he shall guide you into all truth. And the word guide there in the original language is a very specific word. It means to take someone by the hand and let them guide you where you've never been before, into unknown territory. He's the one who takes you off the map. And because religion told us in 600 that that couldn't happen anymore, and we believed it, so now when it happens again, we say it's weird. No, it's not weird. It's the most normal thing in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is going to take you and I, humans stuck in our humanness, he's going to take us into the world of the God who loves you. Again, religion said he doesn't. Uh, And now, yeah, I suppose weird is one word, but but it's, it's not the weird of stupid. It's the weird of wonder. I, I never been here before. And that's what C.S. Lewis was trying to get at in the Narnia series. The only way to describe this life is to walk through the wardrobe into another world. It's what, um, what was his name, Carol Lewis. Same thing. He was trying to describe the Christian life as following a rabbit down a rabbit hole. And down there discovering another whole world that's beyond words. Of course, it's all, you know, fiction, of course, but it's what they were trying to say, that the Holy Spirit takes you. One one word the prophet said, and it's repeated in the end, the Holy Spirit takes you where eyes have never seen, ears have never heard, has never entered into the imagination of a human being. He said that's the Christian life, and the Holy Spirit reveals that. See and how do I know the Father? How do I know Jesus? He says that the Holy Spirit, and he uses the very biblical word, glorify. He makes them to be seen for who they really are. I, I liken it um, to some of the great castles or mansions in Europe. And if you've ever been there, you know that they have lights. 
set all around the mansion. At, at nighttime, they turn on the lights, and the whole mansion is bathed in light in the middle of the night hours. And I, it dawned on me one day, I had looked at that, I don't know how many times, and I'd never even looked at the light. I was so taken by what the light was showing me, I forgot about the light. And that's the Holy Spirit. I, I've sometimes called him the shy member of the Holy Trinity because you, you'll be engulfed in what he's doing and forget he's doing it because he shows the light. He reveals Jesus, reveals the Father. He's. I was being interviewed a little while ago and somebody said to me, you know, what, what, what does the Holy Spirit mean to you? But that wasn't on the list of questions. And, and I wasn't ready with a, you know, a snappy answer. So I just talked off the top of my head. I said, he's the best friend I've ever had. And um, I, I don't know how that was taken. I know um, people who heard the interview were shocked. They talk about the Holy Spirit as the best friend you've ever had. Yeah, the Holy Spirit in the, the language of the New Testament is called paraclete, which it means it comes alongside um, paramedic. It's one who comes alongside the medical community to be, be the connection between you. And um, Holy Spirit, paraclete, it means he comes alongside and he's got counsel, he's got strength to give to us. He, he's... His best words are, I'll handle this, I'll handle this. And when he speaks, because people get hung up on that, because they think he speaks here, he never speaks in your ear. He speaks to the true you that's never got a distraction of ear hearing. Um, he speaks inside of us. And all I can say is when he speaks, you'll know. I, anyone who's been around him for a period of time, you know he speaks and it's very, very different to me speaking to myself. And it's very different to a satanic suggestion. And it's terribly, gloriously different to what the world is continually yowling at us through media. The Holy Spirit's voice within you is so distinct it is so love that quivers with the sound of talking that you know immediately that's his voice. You know, you, you know the voice of your beloved in a crowd. You, you know the voice of your mother, your father, even though it's a human voice and there are a gazillion humans talking, but you know that voice. It's the Holy Spirit. And he rejoices over us with singing, so it says. But not only that, he says to us, rejoice with me. And that's why charismatics upset people, because they're happy. And it's because they've never thought of religion being happy. For goodness sake, you've got to beat your breast and put on solemn face with black clothes and stare at your navel. And that's holy. No, it's not. That is the most wicked interpretation of the word the apostate church ever made up. Mm -hmm. Holiness is the dance of God. Holiness is the blaze of his love for us. 
and it's his joy over us, and it's his peace that encompasses us. God is love. The Holy Spirit is the presence now in this place. Inside of us, He is the presence of love. I know when I say that, I mean agape, God love. And what is God love? God is patient, incredibly patient, kind, yes. not jealous, not a braggart. He's not showing off. In fact, to the point where he hides himself so you see what he's talking about. He's not arrogant. He doesn't say, you've got to praise me. No. He's never rude. You can, it's so safe with the Holy Spirit. He's not, you see, he's not seeking his own. The, the God most people worship in the West is a narcissist. He's got all eyes on him and no eyes on you. The Holy Spirit is not a narcissist. He's not rude. He doesn't seek his own. And it's very difficult to upset him. And and even when he's grieved, he's not mad at you. He's weeping that you've not got it. And, you know, the most amazing thing is is he doesn't consider a wrong suffered. I always thought God had a black book and he put everything in there. And I'm sure you've been to the meeting where they said at the last judgment there'd be a great big video of everything you've ever done and said and you'll be shamed in front of the whole world before they damn you in hell. What fun, Christianity. It says here, look, has anybody got eyes to see? Speaking of God's love, it says he doesn't consider, he doesn't remember a wrong suffered. He doesn't remember. He chooses not to remember. He who knows all things, but he said, I'm not including that. But it says, he bears all things. He will go the tenth mile with you. Believes all things. He believes what Father and Son have done in your life. He believes it. Therefore, he hopes all things. He endures all things. He'll go with you all the way. Love never fails. That's self-giving love. God is that. God is love. That's love. By the biblical definition I've read to you from 1 Corinthians 13. There it is. You know, the most amazing image of God in the New Testament is Jesus kneeling at the feet of the disciples to wash their feet. I said that last week, didn't I? That's washing feet was that which was done by the lowest servant in the house. Jesus took that position. God washing your feet. God saying, let me serve you. This is the Holy Trinity who is vitally involved in our lives and makes Christianity happen. Being a Christian is not something you're doing over here while three people over there are watching you for mistakes. The Christian life is you are inside of the holy them and we're doing this together. 
But for you to do it by yourself, we don't know how to pray as we ought. And you can read all of this as, I can't do that. Of course you can't. I'm glad you finally noticed it. You know, I remember reading Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. You know, one of those turning points in your life. And it says there, the rich young ruler went away, you know, sorrowful. And the disciples couldn't understand it. To them, he was the perfect candidate. And, and they said, who then can be saved? If, he, if he's walking away, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them, you know, that knowing nod. You're not going to believe this, guys. He said, you're right. With men, it is impossible. And that hit me. I remember the day. What relief. I felt like going on the street shouting, it's impossible to be a Christian. Jesus said so. And then he says, but with God, all things are possible. Which means the Christian life was never something you had to try and do. Christian life was that you are in a relationship, an entanglement with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How it's lived. And of course, the religious flesh, shall I say, they realized I can't do it. Well, they realized that a long time ago. And so they replaced it with a whole bunch of ideas. Um, I don't want to go into it. Um, there's no point in just talking about some of their stupid ideas. But um, like when I, I went to Bible school, and they're going to teach us how to share Jesus. So what did they give us? They gave us the same study that is given to insurance agents to sell insurance. Uh, something's going wacky here, you know. That's what I, I mean. I can't do this then. Where shall I turn? Ah, let's have a study on how to sell insurance. I, that replaces the Holy Spirit. No, um, what this is saying, when you have come to the end of your rope, which I'll agree is a terrifying place to be, and it's a state of confusion. I don't know how to pray. I've come to such a position. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. Remember, Every believer is right there. In one way or another, that's where we live. And there are times I do not know how to pray. I don't. I plain don't know how to pray. But then you see, Jesus, I mean, Paul not only said this here, but in that other scripture in 2 Corinthians 12, I mean, do you remember that? He, he had people that were harassing him and they were tearing his message apart and calling him names and trying to destroy everything he did. So what does he pray? He prayed, take him out, Lord. You know, call in the holy mafia. Let's get rid of these guys. That's, that's marvelous. 
See, I, I, I agree with that prayer. It's the best way out. I, I had a lot of dealings with the mafia when I was in New York. And one of their hitmen became one of our best members. Um, but he didn't understand religion, not at all. And um, somebody was giving me a hard time down here in San Antonio. He heard about it. I got the phone call. He said, Pastor, can I come and deal with them? <laughs> yeah, good idea. Yeah. Um, Paul, not, that's a perfect illustration. Paul didn't know how to pray. Didn't stop him praying. But then the father said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take him out, but I've got a far better idea. And he said, I will be in you and with you to such a degree. You'll rise above them. You'll not even notice them and they won't be able to answer you. Far better. I've been in countries of the world that are still under bitter persecution. I've been in Russia before the wall came down. I've been in China. And you meet their people that have been through such persecution. Uh, I met with pastors in Russia that have been 14 years in solitary confinement. They're only crying being they owned a Bible. And um, they were radiant. I, I don't think that's, that's not a good word. It's stronger than that. They were in total peace. And they were radiant with an intangible joy excitement and it's not only me um i i've i know of non-christians that have landed among these people and said what is it that they've been imprisoned for for nothing unjust, and yet there's this unspeakable joy now over here i heard and it was also not heard it was written that if those early christians that were persecuted in, in the days of the New Testament, if they had heard the teaching that is in America today, they would have faith. And if they had faith, they would never have been arrested. When the Chinese drove everybody out of China, all the dissidents, in the very beginning, when Mao was taken over, and, and they went to Taiwan... And the Christians who had been taught that God will always take out your enemies. Um, and as they now, refugees, and, and they, they actually beat up the pastor and said, you lied to us. Okay, we didn't know how to pray. Unfortunately, you built a whole empire on thinking you could take out your enemies if you had enough faith. But what, what's it going to do? Because I've met people that know their enemies were not taken out. But they have, I, I, I don't, I'm trying to describe what I saw. They have a love, they have a peace, they have a joy that make, I was just saying those words, stupid, that they, they had beyond anything we can put words to. And they, they lived in it. It was not a put on. They weren't putting a show on for the American visitor. It was so real, so real. It's the same I saw in the underground church in China. 
See, so what do I, what do I pray? Do I, do I pray, get me out of this persecution? Do I pray, let me know your grace? No, because I know God took people out of persecution. Miraculously. I don't know. That's a terrible thing to say in the middle of a sermon, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, which way do I pray? Pray for the grace and the presence to go through it or, or to be miraculously taken out of it? I don't know. I'll tell you. Religion taught us what to say. It says, drop out. God, do what you jolly well like. I don't care. I can't pray this nonsense. I don't know what to pray. So, if it be your will, I'm done. It's over to you. I don't care. If it be your will is the biggest cop-out that religion ever stuffed down your throat. Because it's dealing with it. In this verse, it's dealing with that. No, you don't say that. That means I'm having nothing more to do with it. This verse is saying... You've come to the end of your rope. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to pray. And you're not dealing with an unwilling, uncaring, remote God. No. This has brought you to recognize the Holy Spirit's place in your praying. You are not praying alone. And he's not a prayer partner only. It's much deeper than that. He's entangled with your very heart, your very soul that's trying to say, oh God, only I don't know how to say that. And there he is at the heart. The Holy Spirit is the key to this. As I say, to religion, that's terrifying. That's not the way to pray. You, 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 you just pray something so general and then say, if it be your will, we're going home. Now this is, I am now entering into a glorious entanglement with the Holy Spirit that from my innermost being, his prayers are going to be prayed. Don't know how to pray as we ought. Prayer is asking with confidence. And asking, remember last week, is not the ask of a beggar. It's the ask of a person confidently walking into the bank to make a withdrawal on what is theirs, asking the teller. You you have that confidence. Prayer is knowing you're a welcomed child in father's family, and he actually wills to listen to you. And it's okay if you don't know what to say. It's okay. And it's okay if you say the wrong thing. The world, the universe doesn't fall apart. God's will has not been done. Oh, help us. No, that's all religious talk. You you can pray and be totally wrong and totally accepted at the same time. As much as if your little grandchild came and girdled and burbled all over you and you don't say, you don't come back until you learn how to speak. No. (laughs) No, you're welcome. What what is prayer? Um, prayer. The word, really, the word is so ancient Bible language. We don't know really what it means in today's world. 
I mean, only Christians use it. Um, we're, we're not Elizabethans who say, I pray thee. No, we don't use it. This is. Let me give you a totally different definition of prayer. Prayer is thinking and doing and proclaiming good words that lead to a good end. Prayer is not just sort of anything. You are locked in with the good God who is love. And therefore, what do I will for you? What do I will for you? I will the intention of the good God and all good that goes with it in every detail of your good lives. And that my willing that means I'm in alignment with the will of God, of course, without even thinking about it. And it means that it will lead for you and for us a good end. Great. But there are times when we don't know the good. What, what is the good way to go? I don't. I can pray that. But, I, you know, what, what is the good in this situation? What is the good? Uh, the good way. We're overwhelmed. And it's so hard to think straight when you're in pain and overwhelmed. So we have no words to say what's churning inside me. And sometimes I didn't have a thought about it. I've, I can't think about it. They just go around and around and around. Soundless. I can't get the words out. I don't even know which way to go. It's, getting, it's unintelligible. There's a groan inside of me. Oh, just a minute. This says that that feeling you're having is the Holy Spirit. That yes. he's picking up all of your come to the end of myself. And he's mirror. He's like a mirror. Only now he speaks the language of the Holy Trinity. Mm-hmm. Which sounds to us like a groaning. Seems to us I don't know where to turn. He takes that. And the Holy Trinity understands that language. And though you've said nothing intelligible in English, you have been heard. Does does that make sense quickly? Um, we've always thought if, if if I pray, I've got to say something, and it's it's got to be addressed properly. And no, sometimes it's just oh my God. Did you realize that was the Holy Spirit? It says he takes hold of us when we can't speak even, and he comes to us. You go through the life of Jesus, and we don't have time to do it, but I'll give you one. In John 11, when he stood at the tomb of Lazarus, you ever read that with this in mind? Jesus saw Mary weeping. 
And the Jews who had come with her were also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. That's big words, especially in the language of the Bible. He said, where have you laid him? Remember, churning inside of him. Come and see, they replied. Jesus wept. And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb of Lazarus. Those are big words I said, especially the word trouble. Trouble means stirred up. Actually, it would be a word today we would use when you're percolating coffee. It's it's stirring, all the water's moving, churning, restless, agitated. It's emotional, mental distress. I don't know how to say it. Just my gut is moved. That's the word trouble there in the Greek language. It's very close to the other word compassion. Compassion means great anger that you are hurting. You never should hurt. And then love says, I must do something about it. It's love and anger, but in the most beautiful way. At the Last Supper, when Jesus knew that Judas was about to betray him. And he, he said, he, he talked to them. And he says, he says in the Old Testament, he who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. That was the prophecy a thousand years before, but it's happening right in front of us now. And after he'd said this, Jesus troubled in spirit. He said, and you can hear the break in his voice when he says, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. So this feeling is not foreign to God. God in Christ knew what we're talking about. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in their spirit. And sometimes we say it without even thinking. You say, my heart goes out for her. You ever said something like that? You know, I really felt for him what he was going through. It's, it's the beginnings of this. And you feel it. Sometimes it's just so deep you hardly notice it, but you, you feel it. The Holy Spirit within you is sending a desire in you for the good, the good end for a family, good work for people you work with, you play with. There's that, oh, when persons are going through trauma, and you, you can't do anything, but you desire their good. Jesus shared how he looked at the world. And I mean, he, he got upset. Mm-hmm. He turned to the leaders of religion and says, you're 
a nest of snakes and vipers. He said, you're like tombs, so pretty on the outside. You're full of dead men's bones. That's pretty heavy stuff. But he said with a sob in his voice, and then he wept over Jerusalem where all these people lived. Convulsive sobs, says the original. Convulsive sobs. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. I mean, do do you follow me? This is not a cold God. This is one who feels with our feeling. He's entangled with us. And he says, the Spirit helps us. Now that, quite honestly, is a very weak translation of the Greek word. The Greek word is made up of three words that are all stuck together. As if that word won't do it, that word won't do it. Give me three words and I'll make a new word. And it means, well, let's put it this way. The Holy Spirit doesn't do it for us. So I'm saying he helps us. He comes right where we are and he helps us. So he doesn't do it instead of us. If I help you, you're involved. I don't say, now sit down there, stupid. I'll do this. No, let me help you. Um, we're, We're not in the bleachers. In this game we're playing, there are no bleachers. You'll sit in the bleachers and watch for the Shazam moment. Then we'll applaud all the players. No, sorry, you got the wrong. There's no bleachers here. We are all participants. We are really involved. We are asking the Father in the name of Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is asking with us. Together with us. This word that is so weakly translated as help. Let me give you, and there's quite a few, to try and say what it means. It means to take hold of and stand with against. So you're in this position where you don't know where to turn. The Holy Spirit stands with you, takes hold, and is with you against. It means lend a hand. It means I see you're in trouble, don't know what to do. Let me lend a hand. Let me come and help you. It means to cooperate with another, to supply the help that exactly corresponds to the need. So he he says, let me do this, but you'll do it. Let me come alongside and I will give to you the help, the exact help that you need in this moment. It's a fascinating picture. It means... We've got to lift this thing. Mm -hmm. I can't. 
I just plain can't. It's too big for me. It's too heavy for me. The Holy Spirit comes and says, let me take hold. And in the picture, uh, you've got to hear me here. He stands at the other end and we lift it together. But of course, when the Holy Spirit is at the other end, that together gets a bit wavering. But he won't let me off the hook. I, I've, I've got a part to play here. And he stands and... When I said a moment ago, against, it's a, it's a word in the Greek which could mean, as you took it a moment ago, he stands with us against. But it can also mean he's at the other end looking at me face to face, which in English would be over against. He's look, I'm in a face to face relationship with the Holy Spirit as he is lifting this. I remember when I was in Africa watching a bunch of elephants and there's a, there's a one, I can't remember the name of the bird. It's a white bird and it, it does crazy things. It gets inside a lion's mouth to clean the lion's teeth. Um, wouldn't catch me doing that. Um, and it gets involved with elephants. And on this occasion, it was sitting right on top of the elephant's head. And here's this massive elephant moving through the jungle and there's this little white bird. I could almost hear that little white bird saying, boy, we're having a great time. Where people are scared of us, we're knocking down trees, we're doing a great job. Yeah, you see what I'm saying. But it's very real. Um, The word can also mean, which I really referred to a moment ago, that he's standing beside us, enabling us to fight the enemies. So it can be picking up a heavy burden, then we're face to face in doing it. Let, let me read a translation. I don't know if you've ever heard of this translation, Mitchell, Jonathan Mitchell. Um, but he takes every, almost every comma and period of the Greek language to say what he wants to say. He says, the spirit habitually, meaning the tense there is always, takes hold together on the opposite side of the situation. So as to assist us in our weaknesses, or he lends us a helping hand in our lack of strength, For we have not seen, thus do not know nor aware of the thing which we should think, speak, or do toward things going well and being good. But he constantly hits the target within us. He hits the bullseye. Do you remember that from last week? Intercession means the meeting of the arrow with the bullseye. He hits the target with unexpressed, unutterable, inexpressible groanings, with wordless, articulate battle cries of deep emotion, with shouts of victory from the core of his being. But it's happening inside of me. Well, when I was in Pennsylvania, have you ever seen a barn raising? The Amish? When the whole community 
a farmer needs to build a barn. Well, in the Amish, you'd never think of doing that alone. You just let the word be known. The whole community come. The whole community. Every man in the place. They build a barn in a few hours. And the women come too, and they're providing the drink and the food, and the kids are carrying the hammers and the nails, and they do it together. Can, can you feel this? You're, you're not praying at God about things you think should be done. You're inside of him. And even though sometimes you don't have words to say it, you with him, you inside of him, he inside of you. Are... Yeah. The Holy Spirit, your best friend. I'll close with an illustration of that. Never forgotten it. Sometimes I can't tell the story without choking up. I was in Brazil, and I had been preaching a big convention, and all pastors were there. And this one young man came. He couldn't speak English. He had an interpreter with him. But he said, you cannot go back to America without hearing my story. He said, I was with the Assemblies of God in Rio de Janeiro. And they sent me, and he willingly went. That's really, you know, he went as a missionary to the Amazon jungle, which is part of Brazil. And, of course, the natives there are, I don't know if you've heard, but they're, some of them will shoot you on sight with their poisonous arrows and but he went to Brazil, and just before he left, he was married. And so he and his young bride, they were in their 20s, and they go to the edge of the Amazon jungle. And they went with all the people, and we pray for you, we're going to send you the money, we're going to support you. And the Assemblies of God gave him guarantees of... Well, he said, the Amazon jungle is a long way from Rio de Janeiro. And he said the natives wouldn't listen to him, wanted nothing to do with him. He preached and nothing happened. Had Sunday services and only his wife showed up. Nothing. And gradually all the support from lower Brazil dried up. The Assemblies of God just still had the paper, but that was about it. They've had a new baby. So young couple, baby. No support. Indians avoid them. And he came to the end of it. And he said to his wife, get packing, such as they had. Get packing, we're going back. I've had it. And he said, and I'm leaving God here. I want nothing more to do with him. He let me down. He sent me up here and then left me. We're here to starve, some God. And he said, you pack, I'm going to have a confrontation with him and tell him just what I think before we both leave God and go back, get some normal work. And he said he went to a, a tumbled down um, native hut on the edge of the jungle, abandoned hut. And he said he laid on the floor and he screamed. And it might upset some of you, but he cursed at God. And he said, what have you done? You sent me here. 
you stupid people promised and didn't do a thing about it. He said, here I am, we're starving. The people aren't listening. I want nothing more to do with you. And that's a presay of what he said. He was there all day. And he said he was exhausted with his rage at God. And he said, suddenly, the place was filled with a sense of God's presence. And he said, the Holy Spirit spoke in that deep voice that you couldn't mistake. The Holy Spirit says, naming him, and said, I am so sorry that you doing my work has separated our friendship. He said, I would rather you stop doing my work because your friendship is more important to me than all the work you'll ever do for me. And he said, that just soaked his being. And he said, I I got a new gospel. I got a new understanding of who God was. He went back to his wife. He said, unpack, we're staying. Because I'm not working for God anymore. He's my friend. And we're going to talk to the natives together. (laughs) When he met me, which was only really a few months after that, he said, now the church is full. The Indians are listening to me. They welcome me in their villages. And he said, independently of all the people in Rio, God is providing all that we need. And he said, I've discovered the heart of this, is friendship with the Holy Spirit, which means arm in arm with Jesus, face to face with the Father. And there it is. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you. You have called us to incredible friendship that is beyond all the words we ever learned in religion. We give you thanks for such a salvation. And we ask now, open the eyes of our understanding while we stand at the end of our rope and let us understand the words of your Spirit in our deepest self to that end, to that glorious good, we commit everyone in this place, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And amen.